territories. Isolated thunderstorms later, light winds. Weather will be unsettled the next couple of days. Current temperature is 29 degrees Celsius. 80% is the humidity. Please be aware there's a very hot weather warning in force. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On this morning's programme, we're talking about blood donations in the run-up to World Blood Donor Day, which is tomorrow. Last month, the Hong Kong Red Cross Blood Transfusion Service launched an urgent appeal to the public, calling on citizens to donate blood as its inventories had fallen to low levels. On a more positive note, the service has just announced a record high number of donors giving blood multiple times. Has the public's uh, attitude to blood donation shifted? Have uh, recent changes to donation criteria helped? Uh, can we further relax the requirements? Uh, uh, we'll be discussing uh, all that in the next uh, half hour or so. And after 9.40, we're looking into the resumption of internships in the Greater Bay Area. If you want to get in touch, you can leave a message on our Facebook page at Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining us now, we have in our Admiralty studio uh, Jessica Inkin, who's uh, the sister of uh, Luke Inkin and uh, co-founder of the Love from Luke annual uh, blood donation drive and that's a collaboration involving the red cross and the english schools foundation and uh, jessica's mother tanya inkin uh, of course the mother of luke is also with us uh, uh, luke is a 15 year old student uh, who has uh, been through uh, leukemia treatment and has needed uh, multiple blood transfusions uh, we'll hear more about uh, luke's story in a moment uh, but first of all, uh, also with us is uh, Dr. Aaron Lee, who's an emergency ward uh, doctor. Um, uh, Dr. Lee, perhaps we can come to you first. Good morning. Good morning. So could you just uh, uh, tell us, uh, you, you work in, uh, uh, in A&E, emergency wards. Yes. What's the situation now with uh, uh, levels of blood available for transfusions? Oh, uh, that will be a, a question uh, uh, should be answered by the blood bank yeah. <laughs> specialist, yes, they are yeah. the hematologist. Sure. But uh, usually in my department, uh, uh, we we don't uh, store the blood product in the mm. accident emergency department. Mm. Uh, it it uh, it will be stored in the blood bank. But uh, if a patient come in and then they need urgent blood transfusion, we will cross match the blood. And then we send a request to the blood bank, and then they will deliver the blood to the hospital as soon as possible. And uh, also uh, in some wards uh, in our hospital, such as the surgical ward, uh, uh, maybe the operation theater, they will keep the blood uh, product just in case there is emergency. They have to use that. Mm. 
Yeah, we, we did we did invite uh, the uh, Hong Kong Red Cross onto the programme. Uh, unfortunately, they yeah. didn't have anybody available uh, today. Um, but, 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 but of course, um, I mean, this whole uh, process, the whole process of uh, blood donation is obviously, uh, you know, very important. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what, what, it's life-saving. Yeah, absolutely. It's life-saving. Absolutely. And what, what, what do you think about um, public attitudes? Because uh, it, it does seem that the public does respond. Um, uh, l last month, we saw this appeal when we were down to about four days' supply left. And then the following weekend, uh, uh, a lot of people went and donated blood, and, uh, and the situation improved uh, quite quickly. Yeah, uh, I heard from uh, the news that uh, the uh, Red Cross uh, Blood Transfusion Center has held a meeting with the blood donors mm. uh, on the 10th of June. Mm. Uh, and as you know, the budget uh, bank is uh, currently run by the hospital authority. Mm. So they hold a meeting with the regular donor who have been donating uh, frequently, and then to uh, give them a praise. And then uh, they, uh, in the news, they said that uh, there are more than uh, 3,800 people have been uh, do donating repeatedly to uh, support the blood bank. Mm. So it is a really a, a high score uh, for uh, in the past few years. Mm. Uh, I think uh, one of the, maybe one of the reason why uh, there are more people willing to donate blood is that uh, we have a the pandemic uh, just over. So uh, people are more free to go everywhere and then uh, they may be more willing to uh, go and join the uh, blood doning, donating activity arranged by the blood bank. Uh, as they released from the news, they said that uh, there are uh, business groups, uh, people uh, from the business groups, they are donating blood. And then also from the secondary schools, uh, students, they are donating blood to universities. So because we have resumption of normal activity in these uh, areas, then I think uh, the children are back to school and then they are more willing to uh, give the blood. Uh, as you know, the young people will be the major group of people uh, who are voluntarily uh, giving the blood donation regularly. Right. Um, Dr. Lee, you are an emergency ward doctor. From your yeah. perspective, um, has there been occasions where blood transfusion is needed, but uh, blood yeah. products uh, you know, are at a low level and um, sometimes it's very difficult to match? Have you come yeah. across such incidents? Uh, usually, uh, I was told that um, uh, but, uh, uh, as you know, the blood group is uh, uh, divided uh, into several groups. Yes. So yes. Uh, especially we we have a lesser uh, uh, stock in the group uh, O and also group A, mm. uh, group. So uh, uh, if these people are needing urgent uh, massive blood transfusion, say they have a. a gastrointestinal bleeding or they have an emergency surgery to have to undergo uh, in the operation so uh, they may need a lot of blood transfusion so uh, in in these areas and in this specific uh, blood group 
requirement. I think uh, sometimes it might be difficult to get enough blood. But uh, luckily, we get a high score number of uh, blood donors. So uh, in the short term period, uh, I think uh, it won't be a big problem for the time being. Yeah. Okay, well, as you mentioned just now, we have uh, two guests with us uh, with a family story to share relating to uh, blood donation and uh, blood transfusions. Uh, uh, Jessica Inkin is the sister of uh, Luke Inkin, who's a 15-year-old student who um, mentioned before uh, has uh, had treatment for leukemia, and that's involved uh, multiple blood transfusions. And uh, Luke's mother, Tanya, is also with us. Um, um, perhaps, uh, uh, Jessica, could you, would you like to explain the uh, the the new campaign you have the 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 love from Luke um, annual uh, blood donation drive. Sure, um, I'd love to. Uh, I initiated this event to try and raise awareness and create a legacy for my brother before I left Discovery College, as I am in my final year of school. Um, I feel like. There is a, a lack of awareness, and we are the perfect age group to go and donate blood, and not enough people know that. So I started this event with four other students in my year, Elena, Casey, Aditya, and Hyan, and together we created this event, and in total 97 people signed up to donate, and 80% of them were eligible. And so together we did make a big difference, and hopefully we were a catalyst for other ESF schools um, or other schools around Hong Kong. But yeah, it was very good to see the community come together and make a big difference and show so much support and show Luke that he has shown so much bravery and strength and that he is cared and loved by so many. So uh, out of the 97 people, Jessica, are they all students or are they also residents of the Discovery Bay area? Um, majority of them were students, but a lot of people from our community also came. We were trying to, um, we were calling major like we wanted students mainly, but um, it was nice to see that our whole communi community could also come together to show their support. Mm. Yeah. What What were the uh, some of the concerns that um, you know people have expressed? You know, some people are actually quite reluctant to give uh, blood donations. They're worried uh, that there is pain or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, of course, there, a lot of people were afraid um, that it would hurt, uh, but really, it is just a little pinch, um, and it's over before you know it. But I think there's a big stigma that. Are, it hurts, which is why a lot of people do not donate. Um, but I think after coming to the event and seeing how easy it is or seeing on our social media, uh, a lot of other students donating, it motivated them to participate. Um, there's also, there's a big form that you have to fill out before you donate um, about like medication you've taken before or sicknesses or fever or places you've been. So. A lot of people also assume that they cannot, when really they can. Um, yeah, it, it's very easy to donate, and I think people are starting to realize that. Mm. Uh, and you have to be 16, right? You do Is have it? to be 16, mm. 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 but... Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. And, and the school, Discovery College, is, is fully behind this? 
Yes, they were very supportive. They opened up their DP center and the Red Cross came in and set up within a few minutes and we were there all day. It was it was great. Yeah. A lot of the students also, uh, uh, teachers, sorry, came and donated. It was very special. Oh, excellent. Uh, uh, Tanya, what did you think of the response to this? Amazing. Mm. Absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, as a family, it's very important to us. Uh, we've realized how important it is for people to donate blood here in Hong Kong. Um, and the biggest thing for us is to create awareness. So what we found was before Luke was actually diagnosed in 2013, there was we didn't really know anything about it. So... Once we started to know a lot more about it and it became personal, we realized that there's not much awareness. So it's become a big thing in our family to create awareness for more people to donate blood and for people to understand what a difference it makes. Mm. You, you mean the, the awareness of the importance of blood donation? Yes. Mm. I think um, some people, it's not even on their radar. You know, mm. you don't even think about it. If, it's, if it doesn't personally affect you, you're not thinking about it. So just to actually inform people, ah, oh, it's actually pretty straightforward and you're making such a big difference. And especially with the students, there's a lot of students that are not donating, they're eligible. Uh, so it was really exciting to see uh, Discovery College from ESF get involved. Hmm. Do you see other um, secondary schools getting involved as well? Because at ESF, there are like quite a number of schools. Yes, I do. I think ESF um, head office was actually very excited about the prospect. So I do believe it will start to spread out across the other schools. Um, possibly, I think West Island might have actually also done a, a blood drive or there is one that is coming up. Um, Dr. Lee, um, how about that? Do you think there is enough uh, awareness among the public or, or what do we need to do in order to you know, make it more so? Oh, uh, the promotion in the public is uh, mm. very important because mm. uh, in my school age, I remember when I was a secondary school student, uh, the Red Cross had been uh, coming to us regularly to hold a blood donation uh, appeal activity and then students are queuing up for the donation. And then uh, I think uh, public education is also important in the sense that uh, we have to clarify some of the myths that uh, people don't give uh, so easily. Uh, and also a uh, majority of people receiving the uh, blood transfusion in Hong Kong, uh, I think uh, most of them are the elderly people, uh, besides the young youngsters who have the uh, need, as you mentioned, leukemia, maybe some blood disorders, uh, they, they need a frequent blood transfusion, but because uh, most of the our population are aging, uh, as I listen to your news that uh, uh, there will be around 25% uh, of our population will be more than 65 years old in the coming years. So uh, I think the need for blood transfusion will be increasing, and then the need for uh, blood donation will be increased as well. As you know, there's no substitute for the blood, and then uh, also the shelf life of these uh, blood and the blood products are limited. 
maybe uh, to 42 days only. Oh, and oh I see. They, yeah, mm. so there is an urgent need for regular blood donation in the community. So uh, are there you know, different times of the year that, um, you know, blood products are, um, I mean, badly needed uh, more than other times in the hospital, I mean? Yeah, uh, especially uh, uh, some research uh, said that uh, uh, there may be more uh, need for transfusion, especially with uh, outbreak of infectious disease. Sometimes uh, during the uh, flu season, the peak flu season, uh, or maybe during the COVID-19 period, uh, the need for the blood transfusion and blood products have been increased. So uh, I think uh, in that sense, there may be some seasonal uh, factor that we have to look after uh, for the blood donation as well. But uh, I heard that from your uh, presentation uh, on the website. You said that uh, there may be some change in the criteria for blood mm. transfusion. Yeah. Uh, for blood donation. That yes. means uh, the blood bank have been revising their criteria for blood donation mm. from time to time. Yes. So uh, I read from their website and then they said that uh, the age, the upper limit for the uh, first-time donor have been increased recently. So that, that may be a good news. Mm. Uh, even the elderly can donate blood oh. uh, to help. Yeah. 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 Because um, that, that's right, um, you can be up to 75 now, I think, as long as uh -huh. certain criteria are met. Yeah, yeah, that, is, that would be a good news as well. Mm -hmm. and, and, then, uh, and then one important change as well, if uh, um, up until last December, if, you were, if you'd spent, I think, more than three months in UK between 1980 yeah. and 1996, uh, you couldn't uh, be a blood donor because of the fear about... Uh, Variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, which is like the human form of yeah, BSE, yeah. but that that no longer applies. Yeah, yeah, that will be uh, much better because uh, uh, they are worried about uh, the mad cow disease in the past. So uh, the, with the relaxation, uh, hopefully more people will be recruited for the blood donation campaign. Mm, mm, yeah. Right. I think there are a lot of. Um, uh, people who have uh, stayed in the UK for more than three months, um, you know, between that period. I mean, yeah. I myself uh, was one of them. So, you yeah. know, when, when that is lifted, uh, that would be good news. Uh, what, what are the other criteria that might um, uh, become hurdles, um, uh, Dr. Lee, do you know, uh, yeah. for, for blood donation? Because uh, for the safety, for the blood disease, so uh, I think the blood bank is more worried about the infectious disease. Uh, uh, the criteria in their uh, donation uh, include uh, if the people have HIV, the hepatitis, and also uh, some uh, serious infectious disease, uh, they won't be allowed to uh, give blood. In the past, I was told that uh, some blood donors who have uh, chronic illnesses such as the hypertension, diabetes, or high cholesterol uh, were not allowed to donate. But this time they have changed that uh, if the family doctor of this patient uh, could certify that the, the blood donor is healthy and under good control of their chronic illness, they can donate as well. So uh, I think uh, with the changing criteria, more and more people will be available for the blood donation. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Um, Jessica, so um, yeah, talking before about uh, this annual campaign that you're organising, but uh, would you sort of be encouraging the people involved, uh, you know, to donate blood? more than once a year you know sort of uh, on a regular basis oh yeah of course there's a truck that comes to discovery bay every few months it's timed perfectly so that if people donate at that blood drive when they come back it's been long enough that they can donate again mm. um so since it's so close and it's right in the center of our community uh through our social media we try and encourage people to donate as much as they can um, and also, this is going to be an annual event, right? So we worked with some year 12s who are going to take it over when we are no longer at the school so that it continues and people... And also just encouraging people within the younger years who cannot donate yet, but uh, educating them so that when they do turn a certain age, they are able to donate and they're feeling motivated to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as possible. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and what is the uh, what, what's the, what's the interval? I mean, you know, you, you've you've given blood once, and how long do you have to wait before you can do it again? I think um, with men, it's just over two months, two months. and mm. with women, it takes a little bit longer to replenish your blood supplies. So, mm -hmm. I think three months, a hundred and something days. The specifics will be on the Red Cross website. Right, right, sure. Yeah, okay, actually, we have a caller, Elliot. Hello? Hi, Jim. Yes, yes, please go ahead. Hi, yes, um, I just wanted to make a couple points. First of all is uh, I'm glad that we finally mentioned what the changes in the donation rules are. Mm -hmm. I've been a long-term Hong Kong resident but was unable to donate blood until the beginning of this year because of the, the mad cow restriction, which you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, I think an, another important point for people listening, and particularly um, uh, Caucasians like me who might be listening, um, there's a big difference um, in blood types across different um, races. And um, specifically, um, you have four blood types, but there's also an RH factor. There's mm -hmm. RH positive and RH negative. Caucasian people like me, one in seven of us have RH negative blood. But in the Chinese population, it's only one in 370. So structurally, Hong Kong is always short of RH negative blood. Um, and a lot of the people like me who could donate, as in Westerners living here, had been banned from donating until January of this year. So I started giving in January. I gave uh, blood again uh, in April, and I'm down to go back again in July. Awesome. Um, it's painless. It's really easy. Um, what, if you can make an appointment or you can walk in. One other thing that people should be aware of is there's another restriction uh, because there's a concern about West Nile virus. If you've been in North America or other places where West Nile virus is endemic, you can't mm. donate for 21 days until after you're back. So you have to come back and wait three weeks before you can go to make sure you're not sick with West Nile virus. Mm. But I would encourage everybody who is Caucasian, with, with, you know, particularly with think about what your blood type is, and if you are RH negative, get out there and donate because because that we're the pretty much the key place where that 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 uh, rh factor blood comes from yes mm. oh. yes yeah, so uh, Elliot uh, so when you go to the Red Cross um, you need to fill out forms and so they, they ask you all these uh, very specific specific questions right so that they want to make sure that you are an eligible blood donor that's right so you fill in a form and then they sit you down uh, you go into a private room with a nurse and basically they triage you there the nurse goes through a big long set of questions 
about your health history. Have you had a tattoo? What medications are you on? She looks through all that, or he looks through all that with you. And if at the end of all that you're okay, then you can go and donate. So the first time I went, I had just come back from a trip to the States, and I was told, you can't, you can't do it now. You have to come back in two weeks' time because you're too close to being in a West Nile virus place. So I went back, did the form again, had an interview, and, and gave blood, and it was easy. What was the point about tattoos? Because anything that you've been pierced, so surgeries, piercings, anything like that, they're worried about what you might get a blood infection from anything like that. So if you had a, if you had a, a big injury, a tattoo, there's just a concern that you might catch diseases from like a dirty tattoo needle. Mm. There's a certain window um, after having a tattoo that you can't give blood in, but once you pass that window, you are able to donate. Yeah, I think it's six months actually. Yeah, I believe it's I believe it's six months. Well, and yeah. it, and it, well, tattoos are very trendy be, these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point, Ada. Lots of people have tattoos. No, but it, it, all this stuff is up on the Red Cross uh, yes. website, and it's yeah. all it's in it's in English as well as Chinese. It's very mm-hmm. easy to read and understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Yeah, okay. Well, um, we're going to take a, a short break for a news summary, and then we'll continue uh, our discussion uh, in about uh, uh, three minutes. Uh, uh, thanks very much to caller Elliot. Uh, our other guests, uh, uh, please stay with us. Like I say, we'll uh, we'll resume uh, shortly. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, yeah, for some news headlines. Just a quick look at the weather first. Uh, sunny periods and a few showers. Very hot uh, today during the day. The outlook. Uh, the weather will be unsettled in the next couple of days. Uh, showers will be heavy at times with thunderstorms. Currently it's 30 degrees, humidity 77% and the very hot weather warning is in effect. New summary with Barry O'Rourke. The former US President Donald Trump has flown to Miami where he's due to appear in court later today to face federal criminal charges. He's accused of hoarding secret documents after he left office and obstructing officials who tried to recover them. Police in Miami are preparing for possible protests by his supporters. And Ukraine's President Zelensky has acknowledged that the battles being fought in Ukraine's counteroffensive against Russian forces are difficult. He was speaking during his nightly address. And a 58-year-old wedding bus driver has appeared in an Australian court charged with dangerous driving that caused the deaths of 10 guests. Prosecutors allege the man was driving too quickly in foggy conditions on Sunday. The bus, carrying 35 passengers, lost control on a roundabout and careened onto its side. And we'll have more news at 10 o'clock on RTHK. Do you have enough savings to support a longer retirement? The HKMC annuity plan offers you a 100% guaranteed monthly income for life that pays you regardless of how long the journey is. Get paid from the next month upon successful application. Persons age 60 or above are eligible to apply. Call 2512-5000 to learn more. The product involves risk. The plan is subject to terms and conditions. The territory-wide identity card replacement exercise has come to an end. All smart identity card replacement centers have ceased operation. Please go now to Designated Registration of Persons Offices if you have not yet replaced or collected your identity card. For replacement of ID cards, remember to book ahead via the mobile app or go to www.gov.hk slash icbooking. A new era we embrace, a brighter future we create. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say. 
Welcome back to Back Chat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning in our main topic, we're talking about uh, uh, blood supplies in Hong Kong and uh, World Blood Donor Day, which uh, is tomorrow. Um, we have with us uh, on the line Dr. Aaron Lee, who's an emergency ward doctor. And in our Admiralty studio, uh, Jessica Inkin, the sister of uh, Luke Inkin and co-founder of the Love From Luke annual blood donation drive. This That's a collaboration involving the Red Cross and the English Schools Foundation, and also uh, Jessica and Luke's uh, mother, Tanya Inkin. Um, Dr. Lee, Dr. Lee, hello. Yes. Um, just before the news there, uh, uh, our caller was talking about the importance of uh, a certain blood type, uh, RH negative. Uh, yes. in, your, in your experience, um, what, you know, what comment would you add to that? Yeah, uh, this is a special uh, blood group typing. Uh, mm. And uh, we sometimes encounter this uh, even in the pregnancy uh, situation because uh, if the mother is uh, this is negative and then uh, uh, usually uh, we will be very uh, uh, cautious because uh, if they need blood transfusion when then uh, we will be uh, uh, calling the blood bank and then uh, tell them that we need uh, to cross-match some blood for uh, emergency use. And also for operation, I think uh, if patients are business negative, then we will be extra uh, cautious as well. Mm. So uh, that uh, audience is very good. Uh, he pointed out that we need uh, more uh, people uh, with this special blood group for mm. blood donation. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. How 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 important is that? If if uh, somebody's Rh negative, uh, you can't give them, you know, even if the blood type is the same, you can't give them, you know, the Rh yeah, positive, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, sometimes uh, in emergency situation, they uh, keep uh, in the surgical ward, they will keep some unmatched blood. Unmatched blood means that uh, it can be given to anybody. Uh, so they will uh, save some of the uh, this uh, blood pack in the uh, surgical ward and uh, operation theater for emergency use. I think uh, so. These uh, blood groups, uh, uh, I think they will control the risk uh, blood group as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, as the audience has mentioned, that uh, with the relaxation now, uh, hopefully more people can be uh, recruited for the blood donation campaign as well. Right. I'm interested in, in tattoos because I see that a lot of young people, they, um, uh, this is like a fashion these days. I mean, I'm not talking about like huge um, areas of tattoo, but like a small thing on your arm. And um, so if, um, if this is uh, like a no uh, for at least six months, uh, it might deter some young people to, um, to give blood, uh, Dr. Lee. Uh, have you, um, yeah, yeah. you know, what, what's your view on that? Is tattooing yeah, from, really dangerous? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. From the Red Cross uh, Transfusion uh, Service uh, website, they have mentioned specifically that uh, with the there is a policy from 2021 uh, with people who are receiving the tattoo, also the acupuncture, ear or body piercing. Mm-hmm. So uh, with the uh, you know uh, some uh, youngsters also. Do the cosmetic tattoos like the mm. micro blading of the eyebrows Eyebrows. and the mm. eye lines mm. and the lips mm. as well? <laughs> so uh, they are usually defer 
for uh, uh, blood donation for six months. So uh, hopefully uh, the youngsters <laughs> won't be prevented from donating because of these uh, restrictions. Mm-hmm. These are quite new restrictions. They, they are afraid that uh, people are uh, that transmitting blood-borne diseases uh, during these processes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Tanya, Hi. Uh, what's your experience with that? Um, uh, I have a tattoo, um, and yeah, many years ago, and it's yeah, it's just six months, and then you are able to donate. So I don't think that could or should deter people from donating. Um, there's just one other interesting um, fact that I'd like to share, if possible, and that is when you do donate blood, you have the opportunity to register as a bone marrow donor as well. So once you're giving the blood, you can actually put your hand up. The details are on the form to say, I'd like to register to become a bone marrow donor, and they'll draw an extra vial of blood, a small one, and they'll just put you down into the registry. And bone marrow donation has changed a lot through the years as well now. So a lot of people think that that's a very invasive procedure. And it's actually now become just like a blood transfusion. So you don't have to go into surgery that they have to remove bone marrow from your hip anymore. It's like a blood transfusion. And this is also life-saving. And it's one more thing that you can do when you do go and donate blood that can make a life-changing difference so it's just something for people to think about when they are going to donate blood mm. you do have to be 18 though you have to be 18 to donate to right. bone, bone and and yeah. jessica the um you know the blood the blood drive that you have just hosted the event yeah. um were there students or adults uh, who had tattoos and they were just <laughs> turned away um i don't I think anyone got, uh, I don't know for sure, but I don't think anyone got turned down for a tattoo. I think it was more like they had been sick a few days prior or they had been, oh, a big thing was they'd been taking medicine for acne. They got turned down. Um, Also ibuprofen, if you've had anything like that uh, two weeks leading up to it, they'd prefer you not to donate and wait. But um, as I think the previous caller mentioned, you just have to wait a couple of weeks and then you can walk into any Red Cross center across Hong Kong and you can donate. Yep. Mm. Yeah, but the biggest incentive is to donate with your friends together, right? Exactly. As, as you have done so. <laughs> Something we noticed as well was because um, we sent out like a sign-up form before the event and not many students signed up. But when the event, when it came down to the day and people saw their their friends posting on social media that they had donated blood, big like groups of students were coming in and just showing up on the day and it was really cool to see. So Jessica, how, how would you like to sustain this uh, blood donation drive since uh, I guess you have graduated from yeah. uh, Discovery College and you'll be going to university, right? Yes, yeah. Um, well, we've passed it down to the year 12s now. So since they were doing it with us and watching us, um, they know how it runs. So they're ready to take it on and then hopefully they can do the same and pass it on to the next year. And of course, we'll come and visit here and there. So. And also, thanks to technology, we're only a phone call away if they need our help or anything. Um, So, yeah, it'll be very easy for it to become an annual thing, and I'm glad I was able to create a legacy for my brother. 
Well, thank you very much for explaining uh, all that. Uh, it's quite an inspiring story, and uh, and thanks for uh, speaking to us on the programme this morning. Uh, that was uh, Jessica Inkin, uh, a sister of Luke Inkin and co-founder of the Love from Luke annual blood donation drive. That's a collaboration involving the Red Cross and the English Schools Foundation. Thanks also to Tanya Inkin, the mother of Jessica and Luke, and thanks very much to Dr Aaron Lee, an emergency ward doctor. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, audience of RTHK. I'm Paul Chan, the financial secretary. This year marks the 95th anniversary of RTHK. I wish RTHK every success in starting a new chapter for public service broadcasting. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. And for the last uh, 15 minutes or so of this morning's programme, we're going to be uh, turning our attention to another topic, and that is the uh, resumption of an internship uh, programme for uh, for Hong Kong uh, younger people aged 18 to 30 in the Greater Bay Area. Uh, we have uh, joining us now on the line uh, Whitman Hung, who's a director of the GBA Research Centre at the China Silk Road I Valley Research Institute. Uh, Professor Hong, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for, for joining us. Uh, so uh, this, uh, I understand, uh, involves around about 750 uh, students uh, going up to the uh, GBA for internships uh, during the summer. Um, um, how do you feel about it now that uh, the borders open again, now that we can go back and forth uh, more easily? It's a, yeah. it's a very good thing. Um, actually, I, I personally was involved in the original starting of this program back in 2015. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we had some very successful, you know, when I was working with Shanghai, we arranged a couple hundred uh, students, university students, to do intern for a month in the nearby area in Shenzhen. Uh, most of them, uh, when we visit them afterwards, they are very glad they had the opportunity. They are able to understand how you know people across the border works. They are the same young people. They share the same song. They like the same food, uh, and also they begin to um, you know understand sometimes the difference of how things are being done. So they have better understanding of what the country is you know how the country is developing. So it was uh, it was a very good program. Unfortunately, it was, you know, during uh, the COVID and also because of the riots, they, they, it was uh, suspended for a few years. Now, it's, uh, I think, finally, when everything's back to normal, I'm so glad to see it being soon. So, uh, Whitman, really happy to hear that. Um, uh, how big is the program this year? How, how many young people will be participating? Well, and, uh, in, you know, how, how are they going to do internships? In now, the GBA. I, I have no idea how this, how big this year, because as you know, I've already left the Kenchen Authority a few months back. Um, but uh, from our experience in the past, usually what, what, what they do is they have uh, uh, NGOs that help to arrange. Each NGO will have, let's say, they handle 50 or 100, and then they will go to locate the postings uh, in various cities in the GBA. And then they will arrange for them. The, there will be obviously uh, uh, living arrangements. Sometimes it's hotels, sometimes it's uh, hostels or, or youth hostels. 
Uh, and then they also they will organize weekend activities for these young people, such as uh, tours around or sharing session with local young people. So that was uh, what we used to do it. But since I'm getting old now, I'm, I'm no longer involved in the actual handling <laughs> of that. No, you're just uh, well, more senior. Uh, you know what? What is um, what? What is the best part about these internships uh, from your experience uh, way back? Uh, you know, before yeah, COVID. Before the COVID, um, the best thing is they actually get into a working environment. So they're there for a month. So it's not like the normal uh, study tour that you go and visit like five cities in in one week, right? This one, they actually stay there. They, they are usually assigned a mentor by the company that hires them. Uh, and then they will uh, also you know, try to learn how things are being done. They get uh, along with same age uh, or maybe a little bit older, you know, young people uh, who are also working as interns or working as full-time staff. They will go out after, you know, uh, work and go karaoke, go to some Tai Tai Dong. You know, it, it really is a, a true experience. And also, um, during my days, we actually tried uh, very hard to find some very good posting for them. Uh, for example, I remember, remember we arranged, uh, I met this young girl who was doing a double degree in business and law in Hong Kong U, and she got assigned to work as a clerk in the court in Shanghai. Mm. So she was actually typing all these <laughs> court minutes. And she said she really learned a lot how court, you know, typing in, in, in Chinese and mm. in simplified yes. Chinese. That's very yes. challenging. Mm. <laughs> I don't know, but she seems to be enjoying it, you know, because I, 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 I usually uh, at the end of the internship, um, I will go with the Secretary for Home Affairs, or at that time, once, once I, it was also Matthew Jones himself. They go and we gather like 30 or 40 of these young people and let them to share. And they're very interesting comments. I mean, the ones I just mentioned, but they also comment about, for example, food was cheap. They can eat as much as they want in the canteen, which is also right. apparently a test and attraction. Right. Apart from this very unique uh, work at the judiciary, um, what are the most popular sort of industries that these interns will go into back um, in your days? Yeah, there were two uh, major parts. One is in the finance area. Some work for the banks. Um, some also even work in some government, well, pseudo-government, like uh, the airport in Shenzhen. Um, and then the others um, get into the uh, uh, technology company. Okay, but of course, you know, being uh, before graduation, there's not much they can actually do in those things, but it's more for them to learn. Right. And, uh, and this year I heard that, um, you know, young people who are between 18 and 30 will be eligible. Now, that might be um, a wider age group uh, than your days. Uh, from, right. your, from your thinking and from your experience, uh, say if, uh, if a young adult who's like in, in the, his or her late 20s, they might not want just a, a month uh, of uh, internship. They might want a, a more permanent job. Would that be correct? That is true. That is true. Um, in fact, I think um, both sides of the border, we are now in short of talent. So if they are really good, the employers, I, th I think, we have no doubt to hire them after they finish the internship. I heard uh, there were a few cases like that before. I even met some younger, who are now, no longer young now, but some of the early candidates who had actually uh, started a startup. You know, after they work as an intern, then they graduate, then they go up, go back up there, 
goes back to the OM, uh, the employer, work for a year, and then they left them and start a, a startup. Mm. I actually met a guy who was like that. So mm. um, <clears throat> the Hong government also have another program that uh, was uh, sponsoring uh, employers who will hire people to work in the GBA. You know, there was another scheme. I think that these two will work in you know conjunction. Uh, um, if they want to really want to do a permanent job, maybe the other program is more suitable. Mm, if right, that okay. one is, big, mm. uh, the, the, the government is going to uh, sponsor like 18 months of uh, subsidy on their salary mm, mm. for them to actually work uh, more than uh, at least 50 percent in the GBA area. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we've talked a lot about um, uh, talent shortage, which you mentioned just now, um, and uh, it's not only here in Hong Kong; it's it's everywhere, really. I mean, do, do you yeah. think we might end up in a situation where, like, you know, you got like uh, Hong Kong and other cities in the GBA actually, you know, competing with each other for for talent? Uh, the competition is always there, but mm. on the other hand, what I think Hong Kong has its, its unique advantages. So, on the other hand, we are an attraction to mainland talent. Mm. So with the new scheme the government has now put with the top uh, 100 universities in, you know, they are actually uh, attracting young talent from mainland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The good thing, you know, if you go to Shenzhen, one of the uh, success, why, why Shenzhen is so successful, is because all the graduates in China, they want to go to Shenzhen. That's mm. why Shenzhen moved from, from uh, you know, a 50,000 people little town to become a 20 million people city. Mm. So. Um, and, and it's the younger city in, in, in China. So there's a lot of fresh grads who go to Shenzhen because they believe there is uh, opportunities there. Now, if we can check some of those uh, who are able to find a job in Hong Kong, then become, they become our assets. Mm. Right. Yes. I'm surprised to hear that um, <coughs> there is even talent shortage in the GBA because I thought that um, we have the whole country's uh, graduates who would love to uh, go to the GBA and work, in particular Shenzhen and the bigger cities. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, well, why is that? that is yeah, why is that? that? It's true. On the other side, all the cities are putting out all kinds of policies to attract talent. In, in the places like Shanghai and Wuhan and Hangzhou, um, and, and even you know some second or third tier cities, they all have special policies if you are, you know, especially if you are in the technology area. So uh, really, um, everyone is, and also because the industry itself is booming um, because of the, the new concentration on this hardcore technology, things like that, there is a need for a lot of really, um, you know, deep tech talent, which unfortunately, um, we don't have that much in both Hong Kong and China because of our, of our universities. Mm -hmm. So we need to attract actually people who graduate from the States or from Europe uh, mm. in this area to come and work. Mm. So f from your perspective, uh, Whitman, you know, uh, you, you know the GBA very well and you're now director of the research center, uh, GBA research center. Um, the, um, you know, Hong Kong young people, what are the uh, edge, a competitive edge and advantage over um, uh, mainland talents if they all want to, you know, grab a job exposure, at the GBA? Exposure, exposure to international uh, creativity. Uh, Hong Kong people are more creative, especially when it comes to art and design. For example, if you do if all system, we need to do have a user interface, right? You need that kind of design um, experience, and and that really Hong Kong being a international cosmopolitan city, will have that kind of exposure. You have seen a lot of, well, not just seen, but also experienced 
a lot of international culture and design. Uh, another area will be in finance because we a lot of our university, well, because first of all, Hong Kong is a finance center. We have that tradition, and also our universities are very strong in finance. So, finance students in Hong Kong are really uh, uh, much stronger than their counterparts in China, in mainland. Mm-hmm. Right. And on the other hand, what what are the main challenges of young people working in a GBA? Uh, I guess they have to, you know, take time to get adjusted to the work culture in the mainland. Yes. Yeah, the uh, culture is a bit different. Uh, they work harder. <laughs> so, uh, you mean mainlanders we, we, work much harder? Much than... harder. Uh, they, you know, they spend time overtime. So if you, especially if you go to places like Huawei, you know, they really work their ass off. Whereas in Hong Kong, we we kind of the younger generation now like this work-life balancing. Uh, and that thing will be. Yeah, the food is a bit different as well. Um, language, there's no barrier because most of the Hong Kong young people they now are quite fluent in Mandarin already. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the rest oh, I heard that um, there's a small issue. Maybe it's not that small. In that, um, you know, uh, young people have um, WeChat, but um, not the not the WeChat Pay because they don't really have a mainland bank account. And so, you know, with the electronic that, that payment, that is resolved? Um, you, you, yeah, you can, you can open a mainland bank account in Bank of China, Hong Kong. Easy. Ah, right. You just walk in, they can help you. You don't even have to go to the mainland and open it for you. Uh, for for richer payers, okay. But there is one challenge is uh, if you use a broadband, you may not be able to get onto your Facebook and Google and YouTube. Hmm. But if you use a roaming phone, it works fine. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so these these are challenges for Hong Kong young people, I guess. Uh, yes, I've heard some complaints, but I, but after they find out because you have now have unlimited data plan on their rooming, the issue is no longer a very big issue. You know, the uh, the commissioner for youth, Wallace Lau, was talking about these uh, internships the other day. He said he he hopes uh, students are able to open their minds, get to know more about life in the GBA, and uh, also build up their own social networks there. Uh, how important is that? It, it is important, but mm. it's not a big issue because those who are willing to go there, they're already ready to open their mind. Mm. It's those who doesn't want to go there. Mm. Okay. Now, at the end of the day, compared with all the number of youth in Hong Kong, you know, a couple hundred is not a large number, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I met with those people. Those who actually went, they're usually very open-minded. They get along with their colleagues. They are ready to actually uh, maybe even uh, use the, to, to stay in the GBA for their future development. It's those who refuse to go there, who doesn't want to go there, who is afraid to go there, those people, they need to open their mind. Mm, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, well, what is the pay like, uh, Whitman? Uh, in, I, I know it varies and it depends on industries. It's a big question. But no, just, to, past, just to compare with past, Hong Kong, no, I, yes. I hope they have changed it. In the past, they did not pay. It was a, it's a, it's a, it, uh, the government, the, for the government sponsored the program. So there, there, are the non, there are some non-government sponsored programs where the employers, such as Tencent, and Huawei, they actually came to Hong Kong and hired their own intern, and those are being paid a reasonable amount. But those who go through the NGOs, the government uh, at that time ensured that nobody gets paid, so it's, it's become equal for everyone. Because some companies pay, want to pay, some companies don't want to pay, uh, because they, they, do not, they see this as a social service more than actually getting the people to help them their work. So at that time, what the government saying is that uh, they will sponsor, that there will be free uh, accommodation and food, there will be weekend activities, 
uh, that's being funded, but the actual student doesn't get paid for that month. This was the old rule. But I don't like that. I, I hope they have changed it now. Because some companies are actually willing to pay. Yes, I think okay. some payment is uh, indeed important for young people. But yes. what about if the young people want to stay and if they get a job there? You know, what is the entry level of pay uh, in the Greater Bay Area these days? It really varies. If it, uh, for some reason, in my industry, in IT, uh, it's uh, quite high. It can get, you know, starting salary will be about 12,000 renminbi. Um, in general. So, uh, entry so the, level, just fresh entry graduate. Level. Exactly, okay. entry level for programmers. As I said, because there's a shortage of talent, uh, they can even go higher than that if you are in, for example, data science or, or artificial intelligence. It will be even higher than that. So they, they, it's, the pay is almost at the same level of Hong Kong, if you consider it's RMB and, and the Hong Kong dollar. Mm. So, uh, but if you are in the other areas, such as if you're in the like culture or more administrative work, then it will yeah, be... Yeah, I don't think uh, you can get as much as a designer, for example. Well, designer, it's really... It will be very big. Uh, but if you, let's say, let's say, a mean fab, it will be much lower. It will be something like 7,000, 6,000. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and, and how about cost of living? You know, things like food, accommodation, transport? Uh, accommodation, if you rent a place, it's much lower than Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And also they have some, some of these, what they call uh, youth, uh, 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 not hostels, but actually they have this special, for example, in Shanghai, we have this 400 square feet flat that we ran out at 1,500 renminbi uh, per month, mm -hmm. only for the uh, talent. These mm -hmm. are called talent houses. Um, but if you go out and rent, maybe it will cost you 4,000, 5,000 for that kind of flat, but still it's much cheaper than Hong Kong. Mm. Food would be much cheaper. Mm. Mm. Um, but if you go to some of the very expensive places, then you will be the same like Hong Kong. But if you're just yeah. like an ordinary living, then it will be, I think, um, uh, the difference in that cost will be bigger than the difference in salary. Right, right. So Which you, means you, you can have actually... a better standard of life yeah. in China with a lower salary you can in, in, in mm. mainland. You can live quite well on that starting salary. Yeah. Yes. Mm, mm, good. Yeah. So, um, what uh, Whitman? You have uh, ample experience, uh, you know, in the GBA. What What is still missing uh, as a plan or as a scheme to attract more young people um, to try out uh, in the GBA? So, I just got yeah. We we yeah. just got thirty seconds left. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's it's doing fine. We just need time. Mm. You know, it's it, you you can't just move. 50,000 people across the border and ask them to try. So I think we start with a few thousand. Uh, as they have positive experience, they will have feedback, and other people will then go. And then right. it, internships is one thing. I think the employment and startup are the real uh, you know, future. Mm. The internship is just a fraction of it. Okay. okay. All right. Well, thanks very much for speaking to us uh, on the program this morning. That was uh, Whitman Hung, director of the GBA Research Center at the China Silk Road. Uh, I Valley Research Institute. Uh, thanks very much to you, Ada. Thank you, Jim. Uh, thanks to our producer, uh, Raphael. Um, we have a news summary coming up in just a moment, followed by Brunch with Noreen.